Are you looking to live the abundant life no matter what your income is? You're in the right place. This is the podcast that will teach and inspire you to live better. Whether you want to earn more, save more, or improve your relationship with money or people, it's time for the 90 Days to Abundance podcast, brought to you by SavingsAngel.com. Here's your host, the Chief Executive Angel of SavingsAngel.com, Josh Elledge. Thank you so much, Cece, and welcome to today's episode where I am recording from Podcast Movement here in Dallas, Texas, where I was just on stage making people laugh. And I want to help you feel great today. So I've invited Dr. Patrick Wanis into my studio because I need help with understanding why we sabotage ourselves. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever seen someone do that? Well, after today's show, you are going to understand exactly why we do it and exactly what you can do to stop sabotage, whether it's you or someone else. Dr. Wanis has been featured and quoted on CNN, Fox News, MSN.com, magazines like Cosmo, Rolling Stone, USA Today, In Touch Weekly, The Inquirer, New York Daily News, US Weekly, New York Observer, Women's Health, Men's Health, and many, many other news outlets. He's a media sensation, and I am so grateful to share today's show with you because part of living abundantly is allowing yourself to stay abundant. I want you to go for it, and I don't want you to stop. So let's empower ourselves as I share my conversation with Dr. Patrick Wannis. Well, Dr. Wannis, thank you so much for joining us on the 90 Days to Abundance program. My pleasure. Thank you, Josh. And and just a, a, a little bit of a background on you, I, I shared already with my listeners, but but I would love to hear directly from you about the type of work that you've had the the the, the pleasure uh, of doing in your life, and and maybe some of the people that you've had the opportunity to work with. I'd, I'd love if you could share that with my audience. All right. Well, I want to be careful. I don't want to take up thirty minutes explaining my biography, <laughs> so I'll just say it as fast as I can. I mean, originally I started. In, as, as a journalist, and I started studying communication, and I was working on radio and television. I started traveling the world. Along the way, I furthered my education. I started studying hypnosis, hypnotherapy, and neurolinguistic programming. Then went on to study health psychology, human behavior, and more hypnosis, and, and the link between all of them. Uh, further to that, as I continued presenting training programs, uh, consulting, I eventually, as a result of being asked by clients from across the US to work with them over the phone, I ended up uh, devising a therapy technique or evolving a therapy technique whereby I can help people to make rapid changes in their life without experiencing trauma, without putting them into any deep trance state or talking to them for hours and hours. And the technique primarily engages your subconscious mind by identifying what do you believe What's the emotion? When did you take it on? And then using a special process in a disassociated state, I take you back and we completely shift the way you felt about that, mm. the way you looked at that. And the point of explaining that to you is to say that that's a lot of the work that I'm doing now where I have clients across the world from uh, Russia, London, Japan, Israel, Canada, across the US, Australia. And I'm able to gain have extraordinary success with everyone but doing it over the phone and doing it rapidly. Um, in terms of clientele, clientele is anything and everything from musicians, actors, athletes, CEOs, celebrities, um, housewives, house husbands, <laughs> teenagers, and even some children. I don't specialize in children, but I have, for example, some clients that are very close in the sense of, you know, some are clients, some are friends, and they say, well, Patrick, please work with my child. You know, like I have a friend who's a, He's a film producer, and he said, please work with my child. And I said to him, you know, your child's six or seven. I don't specialize in that. He says, please, yeah. please. So, you know, I ended up working with him, and he had extraordinary success. Then he keeps sending me more clients. No, no. <laughs> so, so, so that's sort of an overview. Yeah. Are, are there any celebrities that you've worked with that uh, well-known, and, and you can share uh, who that is that you've worked with? Yes and no. Meaning, yes, I've worked with well-known celebrities. Here's something that's going to shock your audience. I actually unlike others who uh, might say, oh, yeah, I'm working with so-and-so, I sign an agreement with them and they sign an agreement with me that neither of us can list who we're working with. And here's why. I know that sounds 
very counterintuitive to business because usually you want to boast about who you're working with. But I'll, I'll tell you why. When you're working with celebrities, you're working with the most challenging, one of the most challenging clients you're ever going to encounter because you don't just have the normal issues that you and I have. You have the issues of addiction. Mm. You have the issues that are created by celebrity status. You have the issues created by fame. And then you have all of the individual issues. Now, that still doesn't explain why would I want them, why would we want to sign this mutual confidentiality agreement? Because sometimes, Josh, you're working with a client who will have extraordinary success. Yeah. Other times you're working with a client who will only do two or three sessions and doesn't want to do any, go any further. Sometimes you're working with a client who has such extraordinary ego and then goes down a different path. And the last thing you want them to do is to go around and say, when their life's falling apart, to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, who, who else have you worked with? Oh, Patrick Wallace is my life. <laughs> sure. So now that's not because I don't believe in what I do. It's because not everyone that will work with you is 100% committed. And celebrities do not always commit 100%. Sometimes they'll come to you because they've been forced to come to you. Mm. You know, I worked with a footballer who only came to me because his wife said to him, if you don't go and work with this guy, if you don't go into therapy, I'm going to divorce you. Yeah. The problem with that is that if the person doesn't want to be there, they're not going to get the success that they need to get. They're not, it's not going to be effective. And I think everyone listening to that understands whether you're on a diet, whether you're on an exercise program, whether you're going for counseling, whether you're going for education, if your heart's not in it, in other words, if you're not committed, you're either going to drop out really quickly, you're going to sabotage it, or you're just going to give up. Yeah, well, I absolutely so, believe that. In, 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 in anything that we're doing, let, let alone therapy, <laughs> you absolutely now, have to have a mind for wanting, uh, wanting to create that change. And this ties into the very topic we're going to talk about today. Um, I actually wrote an article listing the top 20 issues, top 20 psychological issues that celebrities and famous people have. And one of them is self-sabotage, a huge hmm. one which we're going to talk about. And this is shockingly, surprisingly, also applies to famous, rich, successful people who end up sabotaging their life. So unless you get straight to that core issue of why is this person sabotaging, you're, in, you're going to have a, a major challenge. You're not going to get the results you want. So I, I, I work with clients in a much more confidential, private manner where Someone can reveal to me what they want to reveal, knowing that I'm not going to reveal it to everyone else. I appreciate because, that, yeah. Because the other challenge you have is, you know, I did some work with Hulk Hogan in the beginning, and then everyone comes to you, and then they want to know every detail about their life. I'm, about I'm what's sure. going on in their family. And so, you obviously, you're going to say, no, I can't do that. But sometimes it's better not to tell anyone, so that you actually give the client the real privacy and confidentiality that they really want because let me say this from the heart josh when a celebrity comes to you because they want to come to you they really do want privacy they don't want what's happening to john travolta and everyone else now where someone comes out 20 years later and says oh yeah i had an affair with john travolta you know he and i were getting involved you know those sort of things so it's about really putting the client first above your own ego and publicity and broadcast and saying, I work with this person and I work with that person. And it becomes name dropping. Oh, yeah. So, so Dr. Wannis, let's talk about sabotage. Um, because in, in, in your work and being able to work with celebrities, is this an issue that you see is only, and this is kind of a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, is, is sabotage something that is exclusive to celebrities or are we all guilty of sab sabotage in one form or another? Well, you've asked a really good question, actually, because it would appear that it's exclusive to celebrities because when you look at the life of, say, an athlete who's making, Michael Vick is a classic example, who's making tens of millions of dollars, has the world at his feet, has people wanting his autographs, has people following him, pursuing him, has sponsorship deals, and then you notice what he does, or Tiger Woods. You notice what he does, and then you say, why would this person, when he's got so much success, mm. engage such obviously stupid behavior, which is going to destroy his or her life? So that is a good question, and the answer is it's not exclusive to celebrities. It's just more obvious and more extreme and more exaggerated than it is with everyone. So what I'm going to say to you is the number one issue for every one of us, that's you, me, and everyone listening to this call and everyone else that they know, is the same issue. And that issue, quite simply, 
is not feeling you're good enough. It's thinking that there's something wrong with you. And this isn't at a conscious level, of course. This is at a subconscious level. So this applies to every area of our life. Now, if we're talking about someone that's famous, a celebrity, we'll see, see them sabotage maybe their relationship. Tiger Woods sabotaged his relationship, but in the end, he also sabotaged his career. Yeah. If you're talking about an actor, you'll see them sabotage their relationship, which may also affect their career. Some will sabotage their career. Some will engage in self-destructive behavior that then affects their career and their relationship, such as addiction, um, such as substance abuse. Um, so to try and succinctly explain it, we all have this top issue. And I, I teach at, I mean, I teach corporations, but I also teach other therapists, psychologists, and I'm also teaching at the National Guild of Hypnotists. And I teach there is one core issue. You've always got to, got to get to the root cause of everyone's problem. Don't sit there and talk to them and just repeat back to them what you've heard. Find out what's the root cause of their behavior. And the number one root cause of everyone's behavior comes down to not thinking you're good enough, thinking there's something wrong with me, I'm tainted goods, I'm damaged goods, I'm stupid, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm not special, there's something lacking, there's something missing. And all of those issues fall into the category of, the, of a term I created, I think, back in 2006 called the law of deservedness. Yeah. And what I mean by that, I mean, I know that everyone listening has probably heard of law of attraction and some are for it, some against it. Some people say, you know, it's just a philosophy. Some say it's extreme. But using the term law of deservedness applies to something very simple, that what you subconsciously believe about your self-worth Will determine your reality and what i mean by that is if you don't think you're good enough if you don't think you're lovable you ended up in a relationship where someone's treating you really well you will find a way to sabotage mm. you'll find a way to push that person away if you don't believe that you deserve all the attention and all the success like a lot of celebrities do you'll you'll turn to drugs you'll turn to addiction you'll end up sabotaging that success one way or another if you don't believe that you deserve to be really rich, then when you make money, you'll find a way to lose it all. You won't be able to enjoy it or you'll sabotage the success. Amazing. If you don't, and, and that this applies to personal relationships, romantic relationships, business relationships, career, finances, and even physical health. Josh, as shocking as it sounds, you know, I have clients who were sabotaging their own health not in the sense of trying to make themselves sick, but sabotaging themselves by deliberate, by subconsciously deliberately putting on weight so that they could create a wall between themselves and the world around them so that they could avoid intimacy. But what they're also doing is then sabotaging their physical health. So there are things we do to try and escape reality or try to escape our own pain. There are things we do when we feel so uncomfortable that we're experiencing something that we subconsciously think we don't deserve. And I also refer to this as, as a ceiling on your success. How far can you go? How high can your success go? Well, if you don't think you deserve it, you'll sabotage it. So ask, for everyone listening right now, ask yourself, what do you really believe you are worth? And look at it from every area, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Physically, and when we're talking about physical, we're talking about everything that's material and tangible. Do you really believe that you deserve to have this house, whatever that house is? How much money do you believe you deserve to have? And, and if you look at yourself, you'll notice that your, your income tends to stay around about 10% every year, 10% up, 10% down, you know, somewhere in that, in that ballpark. And it's not until you look at it and say, well, what did my parents make? What was my parents' perspective of money? How did they view finances? How did they view giving and receiving? What did they believe about rich people? What did they believe about money? Did they hate money? Did they detest money? Did they welcome money? Did they view money as a burden? What was their perception? Because we tend to take on their perception. I've also worked with clients who felt guilty about having more success than their mother or father. So that's one area. That's that's sort of that's where we're talking about, say, physical and financial. The yeah. same with physical. Do you deserve to be healthy? Do you believe that you deserve to be in in an ultimate state? Um, emotionally, 
what do you believe you deserve? In other words, how do you believe you deserve to be treated? Do you believe that you deserve to be loved? Are you lovable? And to what extent? Is it okay if someone's giving lots of love to you and giving lots of things to you? If we're talking about mentally, your thought process, you know, do you believe that you're smart enough to learn something new? Do you believe that you are good enough to run a business? That's, that's a mental process. That's about the thought pattern that says, I can learn how to do this business. Yeah, Dr. Wannis, I, I want to ask yeah. you about, you know, let, let's say someone that you've met and you really pick up on the fact that, boy, they really have no problem with feeling like they're good enough. How does someone have, I, I guess, where do they come from or what beliefs did they adopt really early on so that they can move forward in life and never have a problem with that? I, I'm really interested in what traits that they picked up at an early age. Now, you're referring to people who picked up traits that are empowering, correct? Yes, yeah. Okay. That comes down to something really simple. What were they taught as a child? So we learn three ways. We learn by what we see. We watch our parents or our caretakers. We copy them. We learn by what we hear. The words and phrases and sentences that our parents say also become our belief system. And the third way we learn as children is by specific experiences. Mum hit me. Dad hit me. Mum mm -hmm. didn't show up. Mum was late. Mum um, was never there. Whatever it is. So we learn those three ways. So how does a person, how does a person that's enjoying success and enjoying life and living life to its fullest, how did they become that way? By adopting traits as a child that, that first and foremost encouraged their full potential, taught them to accept themselves, taught them that it's okay to make mistakes and learn from mistakes, mm. taught them to put put um, adventure over fear. That means when a new project comes to you, do you shrink and you become afraid and say, there's no way I can do it, it's too daunting, it's overwhelming, I'm afraid? Or do you say, wow, this is a great challenge, this is a great adventure? So we have parents that taught their children, that encouraged their children to follow their passion, to live their life to its fullest, to fulfill their potential. In other words, the parents said, what are you talented at? What calls to you? What is in your heart? What really excites you? And encourage them to follow that. The second thing that, that, a, that healthy parenting does is to say, I accept you as you are. There are consequences for everything you do. There is a price to pay for everything you do, good and bad. If you do something good, you'll be rewarded good. If you hurt other people, eventually it'll come back to you. So there's consequences. The third is about acceptance, saying, I accept you as you are. Learn from your mistakes. You will make mistakes. You're a human being. You're imperfect. Learn from those mistakes. The fourth part is not only self-acceptance, but learning to accept others, to stop wasting our energy trying to change other people around yeah. us. It doesn't work. Now, Josh, you know this because you're teaching this. I'm sure you're teaching it. When you spend your energy focusing on trying to change other people, not only are you wasting <laughs> the time because that other person's not going to change, but instead you could be changing yourself. So you're losing precious time to focus on yourself. I had a conversation with a colleague who just came off a cruise ship and was talking about some celebrity that was on that ship and how everyone was following this celebrity around. And this was a reality TV show celebrity. And I said, isn't it, isn't it interesting that everyone knows other people's stories and focus mm -hmm. more on other people's stories than they do on their own story? Now, that's a really interesting phrase. Focus on your own story instead of everyone else's story. That means forget about the gospel, what it, his, he's doing and she's doing. What can you do in your life right now to change and better your life? Yeah. And I think the, the, the last aspect of people that adopt successful traits, and I'm, this may not be a complete summation of all the positive traits, but I do believe that this is one of the secrets of success in life, fulfillment in life, enjoyment in life, giving back, contributing to others, making a difference. In other words, it's the, it's the beautifully balanced ecosystem of giving and receiving, not giving and taking, giving and receiving. So again, if you're listening to this conversation right now, you ask yourself, am I able to receive? How do I feel when someone gives me a gift? How do I feel and respond when someone gives me a compliment? Do you go, oh, I'm having a bad hair day. Oh, no, it's not my day today. Well, I don't know how I did it. It was just a fluke. Um, well, you're too kind. You can say thank you for your kind words, but that's the answer. Thank you. 
receive the compliments because yeah. otherwise what we're doing is we're deflecting. We're saying, I know that you told me that you like something about me, but I think you're wrong. That's, I know you yeah, that's interesting. And I know that there are some people that get uncomfortable with receiving uh, compliments. And I, I think that that's actually a skill uh, in, in learning how to yes. accept that. And that honors the other person who is giving the compliment. They think Correct. highly enough of you in order to give that compliment. And when we dismiss that, <laughs> I don't think that that's, you know, again, it's our, it's our inclination. Oh, this old thing, you know, or we, we, tur- we turn it around into some complaint. And that's, that's so funny that that's such a natural tendency for us to do that. Well, it's actually not a natural tendency. It's a program tendency ah. because... What happened was when your parents were telling you, oh, you're gorgeous and you're cute and you're lovable and you're so funny and you're so sweet and intelligent, you received that until your parents started spending too much time criticizing you mm-hmm. and maybe they stopped complimenting you or they didn't give you compliments. And so you you became accustomed to, to hearing only the criticism and not hearing the good and you, be, you became programmed to believe that you're not good enough for, to receive those compliments, that you're not worthy of those compliments. So it's it's... You, it is a skill because it's something we develop. We develop the skill of receiving the compliment. We learn to say thank you. Also, look in your heart. When someone's giving you a compliment or a gift, are you feeling uncomfortable? Not necessarily because you don't think you're good enough, but maybe because you think, oh, if I receive the compliment, if I receive the gift, I'll be an obligation to this person. Mm-hmm. Again, that's not just receiving it as it is. It's just saying thank you. And if you get a chance to return the favor, you return the favor. So these are some of the key components of people who have positive traits. It's it's really about also, I'm going to throw in some more because I haven't made a, <laughs> a list of all of them. There is quite a few, but I think we've looked at the, the, the core it, traits of a happy, fulfilled person, not male or female, either one. One you, of the others, go yeah, go on. Oh, no, I was just, uh, go ahead, please. One more quick one is responsibility, accepting responsibility for your actions. And that relates to maturity. Maturity is accepting responsibility for your actions, being accountable for what you've done and saying, yes, I did that. Yes, I was wrong. Yes, I'll correct that. Yes, I hurt you. I'm sorry for hurting you. That wasn't my intention. What can I do to make it right? What can I do? I promise I'll never do this again. You're very important to me. I do apologize. I'm sincerely uh, regretful for this. What can I do to make it up to you? That's really good. another example. Yeah, that's really good. You know, I heard something, uh, Dr. Wanis, yesterday, and, and, and it's really kind of stuck with me. I've been thinking about this. And uh, as a friend of mine had said, um, it said, uh, you know, I'm always competing against my potential. And I, I've been thinking about that and, and trying to, you know, I, I think a lot of us, we either may not know what our potential is or, or we don't stop to think about what that is. We're just kind of living our life and m- maybe not asking, you know, if we want to create more abundance in our life. I mean, we've got the potential to do that. But but how does one get clear on what they can do? I mean, how do we develop these loftier ideas of, you know, if it is, you know, if we'd like to create more material abundance or if we'd like deeper relationships? I mean, how do we visualize that if we've really never thought beyond, you know, just the six feet in front of us, I guess. All right. So you used an interesting word. You talk about visualization. You can use visualization to identify what you really would want. And it starts with this question. If I had no fear, what would I want? And, you know, would you want this house? Would you want this kind of relationship? Would you want to live here? Would you want to live there? What would your lifestyle be? Now, you can do an exercise which is right out uh, one day in your ideal life. How would you wake up? Where would you wake up? To whom would you wake up? What would you be doing after you wake up? What would you be doing throughout the day? How would you end the day? Now that you've identified what your heart is calling out for, you then go to the next step, which is, what am I afraid of? What would I be afraid of? What would I be afraid would happen if I actually had this life? And if you just respond with, oh, no, I'm not afraid of anything, you're not really getting in touch with the truth. Because the truth is that some people would say, oh, I don't want to be rich because then people will chase me for money. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to be rich because rich people are greedy. Um, I don't want to be rich because I'll have too many responsibilities. Uh, or someone might say, oh, no, no, I don't deserve that. So you've got to find out what is your fear of living your full potential, of getting all that you say that you want. And the second part, and this is, a counterintuitive question, particularly for people who believe in the law of attraction, but you've got to start here. You have to ask yourself the question, 
Why am I not worthy of this success? Now, I know that I'm using a very strong word, I am not worthy, but you have to ask yourself that question only to find out the truth. You can ask that question by saying, why do I feel that I'm not worthy? Why do I believe that I'm not worthy? But you have to ask that question so you can uncover. And then you're going to uncover the guilt and the shame that you've been carrying your whole life. And it might be one incident. It might be multiple incidents. It might be something you did, something you didn't do, something that someone did or didn't do to you. So you've got to get to the root cause of the block. I ask the question, what is the, what is the fastest way to achieving your goal? And it's simple. Remove the block. Remove the biggest block. Remove that biggest block first. So your biggest block is that part of you that feels, thinks, or believes that you're not good enough and don't deserve what you really say you want. Once you've uncovered that, then you go to the next process, the next step of the process, which is, okay, I now recognize that I feel ashamed and guilty because I betrayed my partner. And I'm using that as a, as a client ex example. Yeah. So I've had many clients that have had that. And it wasn't even a man. Sometimes it was a woman who betrayed her, her partner at the time and then became overweight. For 10 years, wow. she stayed overweight and couldn't lose weight. Or we have someone else who says, you know, I abandoned my child or I abandoned my wife or I did this, or I did that. And what they keep doing subconsciously when you feel guilty, you will punish yourself. When you feel ashamed, you will hide. So you've got to uncover what are the thoughts, feelings and beliefs that tell you that have created this consciousness that says, I'm not good enough, I don't deserve success, I'm bad, I deserve to be punished, I'm ashamed, I should hide. You uncover where did those, when did, what are those incidents. You've got to be specific, you've got to be willing to go there because this does take a little, little bit of courage. It means you know, you've, got to, you've got to face it. From there, you then go to the next step, which is, okay, now I need some professional help so that I can actually clear this out, so I can get to the level of forgiving myself. And the reason I say that, Josh, is I obviously teach when we talk about the traits of a successful, fulfilled, happy person that they're very good at forgiving and letting go, yeah. forgiving themselves and forgiving others. I can tell you a million times, oh, Josh, forgive yourself, forgive yourself, but words <laughs> don't, don't result in forgiveness. You need a special process. And I can share this with you, but obviously it's much more successful when someone's doing it with you. The idea is to be able to get at a subconscious level to the place of understanding and saying the reasons that I did that were. That means who were you at the time? What mm -hmm. skills, qualities, and talents were you lacking? What knowledge were you lacking? What experience were you lacking at the time? What else was happening? And another aspect of understanding is where were you in your life? For example, most of us are angry for things we did as a child, not even as an adult. And I know, for example, with a client who has who experienced a form, it wasn't even sexual abuse, it was, it, it was being exposed to, sexually being exposed, exposed at age 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And she hadn't forgiven herself and she's now in her 50s. So how do I help her? I said to her, don't you have children? Yes, how old is your child? 15. When your child was 12 or 13, your daughter, what was she like? What did she know about life? What had she experienced? Now, you look at it at a completely different perspective because you're not judging yourself as an adult. You're judging your childhood self as a child. In other words, you're recognizing, I was a child. I was limited. My, the, the human brain doesn't fully develop until you're in your 20s. So up until that point, you're operating off a system where the brain isn't fully developed. And the part of the brain that fully develops in your 20s is the prefrontal cortex. Well, the prefrontal cortex controls your emotional impulses. So, of course, that's why teenagers do stupid stuff. And, you, <laughs> and, the, and a parent says to the teenager, what were you thinking? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, the reason you, that you, your teenager didn't think is because they were controlled by their emotional impulses. That part of the brain doesn't fully develop until you're in your 20s, number one. And second, you still have to develop your mind to know how to engage in self-control. Self-discipline, self-restraint, delayed gratification. So we need to learn all of these things. My point is I'm giving you a, a, an overview of saying you have to get to the place of forgiving yourself. Yeah. And sometimes you do need professional help to do that because you don't know how to do it on your own or because you need guidance or because you just can't come up with all, all the answers on your own. 
and you just need guidance and you need a helping hand. You know, I, I really like that because I, I think it is that there is that temptation to say, uh, well, I am who I am and I'm the same person that uh, or, or who I was, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago is the same person I am today. And that's not true. I, I have this belief that most people, I would say maybe you could, you could address this and answer my question. Are people doing the best they can with what they know, including ourselves? That's a wonderful expression that's used often in therapy. You know, um, your parents did the best they could at the time with the knowledge they had at the time. Or you were doing the best you could at the time with the knowledge you had at that time. That is true. It just sounds it sounds like it's a cop-out. It sounds like it's an yeah. excuse. But it's not if you get go a little deeper and you you approach it with compassion and say, for example, look, I can say this openly, Josh. You know, my, my dad used to beat the hell out of me. So do I say, well, he was doing the best at the time with the knowledge he had at the time with who he was? Unfortunately, yes, that is the truth. That is what he was doing. I have to go a lot deeper and say two things. One, who was he at the time and why did he do that? Why was he so angry? Why did he learn to respond with anger and violence? Who made him so angry? Who hurt him so much that he responded with violence? Who taught him that the only way to interact to his own emotions, his own frustration, his own uh, feelings of failure or his own feelings of of not achieving what he wanted. Who taught him to respond with anger and violence? Who taught him to take that out on a child? Well, it was his father, number one. Number two, what his mother did to him, which was she never showed him any love. But mm -hmm. then the last point is, I also have to look at that same scenario and say, that's who he was. Can I now look at myself as that child and say, it wasn't my fault? I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't deserving of that. So when you've come into a place of forgiving someone for something they did, you have to first acknowledge that the behavior, the act was wrong. It was bad. It was inappropriate. It was hurtful. It was damaging. Now, number two, why did that person do that? Because of who they were. Let's get a full and complete understanding of that. Number three, do you therefore recognize it wasn't your fault? And even if you did something that you believe contributed to that, why did you do that? Who were you at the time? Did you know any better? Obviously, you wouldn't do the same thing now because you've gained all this knowledge and experience. So they're key components of forgiveness. You have to be able to forgive the other person. You have to be able to forgive yourself. It's interesting, too, because Kabbalah teaches. I was teaching this at a program, and someone came back to me and said to me, do you study Kabbalah? And I said, <laughs> no. And, they, and I said, why? And they said, well, because you teach that the first person you have to forgive is yourself. And, and this couple said to me, that's what Kabbalah teaches. I said, oh, that's interesting. And I said, well, I look at it a number of ways. I said, you can't express love to someone else if you don't know love. You can't be kind to someone else if you don't know kindness. And it all begins with you because every relationship begins with you. Your relationship with yourself determines your relationship with the rest of the world. If you don't like, love, or accept yourself, how, you're not going to let anyone else like, love, or accept you. In fact, I teach no one can love you more than you love yourself because you will never allow them to. What I mean by that is, if you believe you deserve six out of 10 in love, once someone gives you seven, you go, whoa, whoa, stop, you gave me too much, take it back. If someone tries to give you an eight, you'll definitely sabotage it and push it away. Yeah. This is not about ego or narcissism. This is about the, the reality, which is, I look at myself and I recognize, here are my weaknesses, here are my strengths, here are the mistakes I've made, here are the things I'm gonna correct. Accountability, responsibility. So it's not about ego, it's about looking at yourself as a whole person, looking at yourself truly. You know, Josh, I don't know about your personal life, but everyone who's in a relationship listening to this conversation now hopefully understands that the only way you can truly love someone is to know all of them, to know their good and their bad, and then still love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Not just to love them because, oh, she's so beautiful and she's so sexy and she dresses so well and she does this and she does that. Okay, what about her failings and flawings and insecurities and self-doubt and when she loses it and when she gets angry or, or he? What about that part when, when they become, when they show their weakness and they show their their flawed side, because we all are human beings, we all make mistakes, we're all imperfect. Can you love them in spite of that? That's when you truly love someone, when you can say, I'm willing to see all of you and still love you. You know, I also, like that. 
Yeah, I like that, yeah. Patrick, because I would think otherwise. I mean, what love are we giving? Well, it seems like conditional love. If we're not willing to love uh, those blemishes in the personality of another person. Very true. You have to be willing to love the entire person, including their blemishes. We, we have an expression in Australia, I don't know if we use it in the U.S., uh, to, to love him or accept him or her with warts and all. <laughs> that means with the warts and without the warts. I mean, accepting everything. And if you are not loving someone with their blemishes, then you're only in love with their image. You're only in love with, their, with your representation of them. And one day, you're going to see the real person, and then you're going to recognize, I do or I don't love that person. So... Love, love and acceptance begins with you. And just in case people listening to this are religious, and I'm using this as a philosophy not to become religious, but I always believe when working with clients, I'm going to work within your belief system. Mm -hmm. So if someone comes, comes to me and it comes up in the conversation or I recognize that they're Christian, then I'll say to them, what, what was Jesus' second command? commandment? And that commandment was, love thy neighbor as thyself. So let's look at that. That simply means love your neighbor the way you love yourself. That means show kindness to your neighbor the way you show kindness to yourself. Show acceptance to your neighbor the way you show acceptance to yourself. Show patience to your neighbor the way you show patience to yourself. So I could almost argue, whether you believe Jesus is real or a historical figure or a mythological figure, is, is, is almost irrelevant. What's important is we could almost argue that Jesus was probably the first self-help teacher. Oh, sure. Because he's, <laughs> he's saying to you, you have to love yourself first to love other people. The way you treat yourself is the way you're going to treat your neighbor. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Accept your neighbor the way you accept yourself. So again, it's not about ego. It's not about being selfish. It's about the balance, which says, I have done some wrong things, and I do feel guilty about them, and I do feel ashamed. Now am I willing to face that guilt and face that shame, to forgive myself so that I no longer keep punishing myself because I felt guilty, and when we find people guilty in a court of law, we sentence them to prison, we punish them. <laughs> or the second part is, if I feel ashamed, am I willing to face that shame and replace it with the antidote, the antidote to shame, one of the parts of the antidote to shame, is empathy. Empathy means compassion and empathy, understanding we're human beings and we're imperfect and we make mistakes. And once we're willing to release that shame, then we're no longer afraid of revealing our real selves to the world. And let me just add this to Josh, that yes, the majority of our shame goes back to childhood, but sometimes our shame is also in adulthood. We did something. Or, we, or we're not at the yeah. level we want to be. I want to be richer. I want to be more successful. I want to be this. I want to be that. I should have this. I should have that. Well, of course, they're all um, belief systems and expectations that, and shoulds that we've placed on ourselves that probably go back to childhood expectations that our parents had of us, that our parents said, you should be this or you'll never be that. And so we grow up and we either sabotage ourselves or we hold ourselves back and then we judge ourselves a second time and listen to this carefully. Be aware that you're not doing to yourself what your parents did to you. Mm. If you felt your parents were critical and judgmental of yourself, why do you want to keep using their voice against yourself? If your mum or dad always said, oh, you're stupid, you're no good, you don't know what you're doing, that's not for you, you don't deserve that, that's for other people, why do you want to keep repeating that? Why do you want to keep doing that to yourself? Now, of course, I'm appealing to your conscious mind. Step two is once you've said, you're right, Patrick, I don't want to keep repeating that. I don't want to keep criticizing, judging, and condemning myself the way my parents did. I don't want to keep attacking myself. I don't want to keep hurting myself. I don't want to keep abusing myself. Once you've decided that, then you go to step, the next step, which is get the professional help to help you, to assist you, guide you, use the technique, process, or modality to change that. That's good. That's the key. Yeah, and I appreciate that we that uh, you know because Patrick hearing this and and uh, I, I want to make sure that, that that those are you know that are in, enjoying this conversation with us. I just want to make sure that they feel like they have a prescription for something that they can start exercising, something they can start doing. And so uh, that that sounds really good. Are there any other exercises that you would recommend to help? curb sabotage so either identify where we're sabotaging or 
you know, help us to overcome that so that we can be free and, and, and truly be more free to work and create our potential? Good, good question. So step number one is mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. We experience the world, life, through four realms, mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Write, it can be a separate page, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. Then write out what is going wrong in each area of your life. If it's a relationship, if it's your physical health, if it's your finances, write out each one what's going wrong. Now be willing to say, how am I contributing to this? Um, also ask yourself, <clears throat> that person's issues, because we're always trying to change someone, condemn someone, blame someone, and say to yourself, I recognize that that person's issues are his or hers. Now I also recognize my issues are mine. How am I contributing to this? Am I really sabotaging this? In other words, am I really doing something to push this person away, to push success away? Ask yourself again the question, what am I afraid of? Why do I feel I don't deserve better? So look, first identify all the areas in your life where things are going wrong, where things are not working the way you want. How are you contributing to them? What are you afraid of? How does it tie into your beliefs about yourself? In other words, what do I really believe about myself? If you want to go further, create a self-image. Write down an image of yourself. Now, I don't mean draw an image. Write down how do you see yourself? I see myself as a whatever. You know, how old you are, where you live, what your relationship is with other people. How do you perceive yourself? Because as you write that image, you're going to start to recognize how it connects to self-sabotage. Yeah. Also, if you want to do another process, especially for the women, because women place a lot of emphasis on their relationships, more than men do, incidentally, and that's because a woman's, success, a woman's sense of fulfillment and success is measured by the success of her relationships, how good her relationships are. When a woman's relationships are falling apart, that's when she feels her world's falling mm -hmm. apart. Men tend to measure their sense of fulfillment and success based on what they're creating and producing. In other words, what results they're producing. So look at your relationships and say to yourself, is there a pattern here? My current relationship with my past relationship. Now, if you've been married for 10 years and you say, well, I only had one or two relationships before that, then look at your relationships with other people other than your romantic partner. What kind of relationships do you have with people at work? What kind of relationships do you have at home? What kind of relationships do you have with your aunt, uncle, cousin? What kind of relationships do you have with your children? So draw like a map or a tree and list all the key people in your life, including your boss and your colleagues, and then say, how do I relate to them? For example, do you hide from all of them? Do you have a fear of intimacy? If you recognize you have a fear of intimacy, then you recognize that you're going to sabotage the relationship anytime someone gets too close to you. You're going to push them away. So these are some processes that you can do on your own to at least identify what areas of my life am I sabotaging, why am I sabotaging, with whom am I sabotaging, <clears throat> and then the next step is, okay, what, am I what else am I willing to do about it? Am I willing to change this? Some people will see that and they might say, oh, you know, it's, it's too overwhelming. I'm not going to do anything about it. Only if you really want to change can you be helped to change. And I don't mean change that you're wrong or broken, meaning that you you identify the emotions you need to let go of, you identify the beliefs that no longer serve you. Let me share one more example. I, I mentioned, as my own experience, that I experienced abuse as a child. Most people that were abused as a child have extraordinary issues with of fear, <coughs> of intimacy and commitment. Yeah. That means until they get to the level of actually dealing with that, they're always going to keep people at a distance because they don't trust. So my pattern was I kept people at a distance because I didn't trust. So until I face that, it will just keep repeating. So that's, what, that's my point to say look at the patterns in your life. Look at how you're living your life because you really can make those changes. And all it requires is the first step, awareness, Second step, identifying where did it come from. And then the third step is the, the, the reprogramming, the neutralization of old beliefs. Because in my situation, the concept of keeping people at a distance and not trusting was the right thing to do as a child Yeah. because it kept me safe. I would hide. But as an adult, it doesn't work. So some of the things that worked in our childhood were really good. They worked for us. 
but they may not be working as an adult. That's when it's time to say, my old belief no longer serves me. It doesn't work. Yeah. You know, uh, Dr. Wannis, I, I appreciate, too, that you recommend writing these things down. So for those who, are again, are joining us in this conversation, you know, it, it's one thing to hear what you're sharing and just have head knowledge about that. And oh, that sounds like a great idea. But I think it's it's really, uh, you know, you're really sharing a lot of gold here. And, uh, you know, this, to me, is a conversation that I could, I could see myself going back and listening to a couple of times just to make sure that I got all of this. But actually going through the exercise and writing it down i know that when i've dealt with you know periods of stress you know just writing out all of my feelings and and trying to identify you know the root cause of where that stress is coming from it, it boy i tell you it just really helps uh move things forward so i i appreciate that yeah you're welcome because of clarity when i guest host on a tv show called emotional mojo and on that show is a registered dietitian and nutritionist and another, um, another host who just got her PhD and she's a, she's a counselor therapist. And they're always shocked, and the anchor as well. All three of these ladies are always shocked because I'm always saying, write it down, write it down, <laughs> write it down. Because otherwise, all you do is you just talk about it and you let it go. So let me share one more process with you that, you, that, um, that can be helpful. And I'm sorry that I'm swallowing, but I'm getting a little dry in the throat. But here's, here's another process. Think in your mind to some memories you have, just these strange memories that stand out, but you think, I don't know why I remember this because it doesn't really have a strong emotion. So you might remember, for example, well, I remember a time being, um, being near my father and we were fishing and he said this thing. And, and you think, I don't know why I remember it because it doesn't have any real emotion. No. Write it down and then look back. Notice what I'm saying. Look back at that old memory. So be careful you don't relive the memory. Just look back at it and keep asking yourself, what was the meaning of this? What was the emotion associated with this? Because, and this happens with many, many clients, there are incidents which we have for some reason a snapshot. We have a photo in our mind and we think, why do I remember that? Even though it doesn't, it doesn't seem to have any particular significance. No, it doesn't consciously but subconsciously it does because I promise you created a belief at that time and there's some emotion. It could have been a judgment about your parent, a judgment about yourself, or you took on a judgment of the world. And you said, my mum said, money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> and I believe that. And from that moment on, I became a, I became a saver. Now, meaning saving money, not spending. <laughs> it, it may not be about money. It could be about anything. But all of these snapshot images that we have are there for a reason. We remember them consciously, but subconsciously they have greater significance than we realize. Even if you just do this alone, it will be helpful. Write down those memories, list them. Memory one through to seven, one through to 10, just write them out and then come back to them one at a time and keep asking yourself, what was the meaning of that incident? When my dad was standing there and said, you're not going to do radio. I know you're not going to do radio. Now, if I say to me, well, what does that mean? I go, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Just remember it. But when I look deeper into that, I think at that moment, I realized or felt he doesn't have an interest in what I really feel, what I really want to do. He's not listening to me. Therefore, I'm not being heard. Um, therefore, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to go and be successful in radio to prove him wrong. So you've got to keep looking at those snapshot memories because they have greater significance for you than you realize. And you'll hopefully identify and yeah. pull up, discover, uncover beliefs that are not working for you anymore. Sure, sure. And 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 Dr. Wannis, I apologize. I have one more, one, one last Go question, ahead. just because I, I promised someone that uh, I, I told them you were going to be on the program. And um, I, I just and I don't mean to open up a big can of worms, but does does fear and anxiety kind of come from the same place? For so if so, there's someone who's dealing with uh, anxiety over money. They're always worried that the money's going to run out, they're going to lose a job, that sort of thing. Does that have the same source? Potentially. Anxiety is the feeling and the belief that your world's out of control, coupled with the attempt to try to control that which you can't control. Mm. Having said that, anxiety can have two roots. It can have a psychological root, that means based in the past, or it can have a 
physiological root, meaning if you're under extreme stress and you're not sleeping well, you're not eating well, you're not, your relationships are not in the place where they'd like to be, and you're, you're being overwhelmed with emotions, you will experience anxiety because of the stress, and that relates to the, sh- the change in the brain, as well as the hormonal change. So in this case, it could be one or it could be both. If someone says to me, I have a fear, I'm experiencing fear and anxiety that the money's going to run out, I'm going to lose my job, then I would first and foremost say, when was your, what was your earliest memory or experience of feeling of an anxiety that, that there was not going to be enough, wow. <clears throat> that something wrong was going to happen? Now, uh, with this person, I don't know if it's a man or a woman, I'd be curious to find out, was there a time when their parents ran out of money? Did, did, uh, did, did a day come when they said, we can't afford this? Um, was dad always afraid of losing his job? Was mum always afraid of not having enough money? Was mum dependent on dad for the money? <clears throat> and dad sometimes would say, I'm not giving you any money, or there isn't any left, or he spent it on alcohol. Because as a child, we take on the emotions of our parents. We are a sponge, and we tend to absorb the emotions that, that, that our parents are feeling. That's why I say to parents, be very careful. Don't <laughs> sit there and talk to your children about everything you're feeling. And be aware that your children are going to absorb what you're feeling. They know when you're unhappy. They know when you're sad. And it's a natural tendency of a child, and this is verified in studies, to want to soothe you, to show compassion Mm. to you. And compassion means that they have to feel the pain. So I know clients will say, have said to me, my daughter says to me, every Tuesday you look sad. And the daughter's six years of age. Oh, my. Or the, or, the, or, the, or the son looks at his mother and recognizes she's unhappy and miserable and he wants to comfort her. And then the child starts to play the role of adult. So, with, again, coming back to this specific case with, um, with this person who says they experience fear and anxiety around money, what were, around money and work, what did you experience as a child around money? What, what was your parents' perception of the world? Was there enough, not enough? Were they always struggling? Were they, were they always afraid? Were they always anxious? And the person that has the most dominant emotions in the, in the relation, in the, in the family, will be the one that tends to pass the emotions down more. Wow. So if dad was dominant, then we'll most likely absorb his emotions. Unless you as a child felt more connected and related more to mum, then you'll tend to absorb her emotions more. So again, for this person, what were your experiences around money as a child? What were the, what were the dominant emotions you felt in the house? Was it fear? Was it anxiety? What did mum feel most of the time? Did she feel afraid and anxious? What did dad feel? Did you have experiences where there was, where there was suddenly you felt like you were going to die? You weren't going to survive. You weren't going to make it. Um, and I don't mean an accident, but it could be something simple as mum and dad saying, we can't afford it this week. You know, some people have had horrible experiences as a child where the parents couldn't afford to food that week or yeah. they couldn't afford to pay bills. And they may not have told the child, but the child may have heard the electricity got cut off. We couldn't afford the electricity. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you pay the electricity? So there are, again, two, two causes for this particular person, this potential client. I, I don't know if it's your client or friend. Um, one is the childhood programming, or two, if they are currently experiencing stress after stress after stress, that will then create anxiety. So other than dealing with the obvious childhood issues, write out what is it that I feel that, I, that, that, that is out of control? My finances, my work, what can I control? What can't I control? And work, place all your energy on what you can control. Maybe you can control your spending. But don't just focus on not spending money, focus on how can I make more money? Because a lot rich people, rich and wealthy people are always focusing on how to make more money. Mm-hmm. Poorer people always focusing on how not to spend money, how to save it. But rich people are saying, well, how can I make more money? So focus on too, how can you make more money? What else can you do? Is there another way to create passive income? And I'm sure, Josh, you have lots of programs for this. <laughs> and then the other aspect is look at what you're trying to control and recognize that you can't control it Shift your energy to only that which you can control and begin exercises like deep breathing exercises. Um, I do yoga a few times a week. The breathing in the yoga alone is so beneficial because it calms your mind. It 
it sends more oxygen, not just to your body, but to your brain, particularly some of the yoga poses. So find ways to do deep breathing, um, do a little more exercise. It doesn't have to be intense exercise. It can be walking. Also, if you're a man, look at your support system and ask for support. Support system means a buddy I talk to, someone I can ask for help, even just someone to talk to. Women naturally tend to talk to their friends when they undergo stress. Men tend to shrink. They tend yeah. to hide. Sure. This is when you got to you got to turn on, you got to talk to someone about it because in the same way that when you write it down you feel better when you talk to someone about it, just talking, you might come up with a solution yourself. I appreciate that. And Dr. Wanis, thank you so much for all the time that you've spent with us. Now, uh, so people, uh, you, you've shared so much uh, wisdom with us. And can you kind of share with us what you have to offer online and how can people follow you? What what products and services that you have? If, if someone heard something and they're like, gosh, I, I really want to pursue that a little bit more, uh, what more can they learn from you? So my website is patrickwanis.com. My Twitter is at behavior underscore expert. Behavior spelled the American way, I-O-R. <laughs> Thank uh, you for that. Because <laughs> I've got an international audience. And then on my website, there's various products. Every product that I put out, whether it's a, a, an e-book, an audio book, a book, or, a, or even an audio CD of, of hypnosis or some other guided meditation, every one of them has processes and exercises in it. Telling you how to do something is great. Is Telling you that you need to do something is great, but telling you how to do it and showing you how to do it is the key to effective change. For sure. So a couple of the products that you might enjoy that are pertinent to what we've been discussing today. One is an audio book called, an audio book and an e-book called Get What You Want. And it's primarily about shifting the way you think, shifting the way you perceive life, um, understanding the way that our thoughts uh, determine a lot of our reality, but it's not philosophy. I actually give you specific exercises. Another one is an audio CD that's a guided visualization slash hypnosis CD or audio program. I prefer to use digital files, and it's called Be Happy, Rich, and Wealthy. And what that is is simply relaxing you enough to keep giving you positive suggestions about welcoming money, about forgiving yourself, about letting go, etc., about believing you deserve more. Having said all of that, if you listen to this conversation, you say, well, I really want someone to guide me. You can always um, you know, get, on, get onto my website and schedule a session. That sounds great. Well, Dr. Wanis, thank you so much for all the time that you've spent with us. You've been very generous with your time. And, and uh, I will have links to everything that you just shared in the show notes for this show. And uh, so with that, uh, again, thank you so much for the time that you've spent with us. Josh, thank you very much for the opportunity. It's truly um, a wonderful opportunity. I thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my knowledge and wisdom with the intention of helping whoever is listening right now. Thank you. Sounds great. Thank you. Well, if you liked this show, leave me a voicemail, 407-205-9250 is the hotline. That's the podcast hotline. And then also, if you're in Central Florida, join me on September 9th at 6.30 p.m. near the House of Blues at Downtown Disney. Of course, if you're a blogger, coupon blogger, etc., make sure you're checking out the free stuff that we've got for you. If you're an employer, make sure the stuff that we've got for you so that you can take better care of your employees, making sure that they're all making great financial decisions so that they are living well. And of course, I'd love to work with you personally. And that information as well is at the bottom of my website. Just click on my name and you'll find that. And also, We've got some great shows coming up this week. I'm so excited to be of service to you. One of the best things that you could do right now is whatever podcast app that you're using is hit the subscribe button because that is going to help make sure that you get these episodes as soon as they are published. Now, some of the deals I share are very time sensitive. And so if you're subscribing, you will be among the first to see them. If you just wait until you casually check it out on my website, well, a lot of the deals that I may share with you are already gone and done. So we don't want that to happen to you, especially if there's time-sensitive freebies that really would have hooked you up. I want to make sure that you get those. And again, to get those, I'd recommend that 
you go into iTunes, you subscribe there. If you use another player, like maybe Stitcher, uh, you could subscribe there. That's a great app. There are some other very, very good ones, and, and you can subscribe to my podcast. Just do a search on iTunes, uh, and you'll find uh, those podcast apps that are going to work best for you. But it's a far better way of making sure that you're getting this information, all this great savings information in a way that's going to get to you and where you can use it where it's convenient for you. I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm driving uh, on the road. I listen to podcasts when I'm running on the treadmill. Uh, those are great times to kind of multitask. And I can still continue to feed myself all this information that I want so that I can live more abundantly. And you know what? This is a great podcast to help you uh, live a better life. And as always, have a great day. Have a great week and live abundantly. <laughs> sure. <laughs>